I absolutely love fall. And I had the privilege of going and, and playing golf with my son up in Grass Valley uh, a week ago Saturday. And, uh, and just the colors were incredible. And, um, you know, it just felt like fall. And there's something to me that I, I, I love the idea, especially in a year like what we've been experiencing. It's nice to see things just fall away, right? And there's so much of what's happened in our world and in our society that has, as I've been listening, as I've been trying to pay attention, there's just a dark cloud that's always permeating, right? That's always out there. And it seems, I don't know if you feel this way, but I've talked to a lot of people that do, that the more that they are carrying the burden for someone, the more they feel like they hear more and more bad news. And it just gets heavier and heavier. This morning I found out that a friend of mine from high school passed away last night. And there's just such a cloud. And yet, it's Thanksgiving. And so here's what I choose very, very carefully chosen words. I choose to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise today. Right? Right? Because every day is just a, a choice. For Jesus, the cross was a choice. And the writer of Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. What are you talking about? You know, it's that kind of scripture that helps me understand as dark of a cloud that starts to... Who was it in the peanuts? that They walked around, there was always a cloud over their head. Am I imagining that? Yeah. Was it Linus? Yeah. Linus had a blanket. Oh, now see, I've, I've stirred up controversy. I'm so sorry. Pig pen. No, he had a cloud of dirt around him. That was a different cloud. Anyway, Eeyore, yeah, that's a completely different comic strip, but you've nailed it. Oh my gosh, look at all you reminiscing. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our lacking nothing. So how many of you have gone to a Thanksgiving table and your favorite dish is not there? Right? Oh, oh, I just saw some very visceral reactions in the room. You know, some like, oh my gosh, do you remember that year, Right? It was so funny to watch you do that. I had no idea how well that would play out. But that is spiritually what we're talking about. That spiritually is what James is trying to help us understand. So that even when there is this dark cloud over our society, we can rejoice. We can live outside of it. Right? What a powerful, powerful thing when there is such a dark cloud around us and not faking it, not pretense, but there is an inner joy and power that far surpasses anything that the world can offer and sustains us. It feeds us so that we are able to mourn with those who mourn 
but also rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think where our society is getting is we can't rejoice anymore with even the few who are still rejoicing. Let us be the people who are rejoicing. Amen? So James has a concern that we are lacking in nothing. He doesn't want you all to get to the spiritual Thanksgiving table and go, oh, they forgot the cranberry sauce. That's it. This whole dinner is ruined. I'm so excited. I'm going to have great Thanksgivings for the rest of my life because I now live with my in-laws and my mother-in-law makes the best cranberry sauce ever. (laughs) So it was a win-win, Nancy. Turn to James chapter 2. And we're going to be finishing up chapter 2. I do want to say thank you so much for uh, your kindness during uh, the month of October with Pastor Appreciation Month. I truly, my wife and I feel so loved and so appreciated here at Concord Bible Church. And uh, we're looking forward to where we're going together as a church uh, over the holidays. Um, Where we're going together, my wife and I, uh, at... 3.45 a.m., we will be flying back to visit my father. We haven't seen my dad in a long time, and so I need to go visit him uh, this week. And so uh, Mr. Brad Walter, we're going to fly him in from wherever he is, and uh, we're bringing in the best for you guys uh, next week, and uh, my heart will be with you, um, but my body will not, which I think is fine for everybody. Um, In lacking nothing, this morning the title is, and you have sermon notes that you can pull out of the bulletin and start filling this stuff in. Uh, As we look at this, we're looking at the concept of work it out. Work it out. Um, I remember the, the first few months that I came here, this actually marks my my 15-year anniversary this Sunday. So, oh, no, no, you don't need to. Well, that, that was pandering, wasn't it? That's ridiculous. Um, I was just kind of excited. I just thought about it. Uh, and, but shortly, for those of you that were around back in that Paleolithic era, um, shortly after I got here playing on the church softball team, uh, Mike Redlick tried to warn me that softball, church softball, is no joke. Um, it is a rough and arduous thing, and he insisted that I stretch properly and warm up properly, and I just wasn't listening to my coach well enough, and sure enough, game four of the 2007 season, I split my Achilles. Oh, I know, I know. So You just feel it. That's not like I turned my ankle, I suffered a brain injury. Um, It's much worse than any of those things. (laughs) Trust me, I've had both. And uh, so what what was not really fun about that is that they put my leg in it. I had to get surgery. They put my leg in a cast, and I had to lay down for 30 days. And uh, it was really easy on the rest of the family. (laughs) But it was miserable for me. One of the things that was just so wonderful is when after 30 days... My wife drove me to the doctor. I rolled down the window and I stuck my head out like a dog because I hadn't been outside and smelled fresh air for so long. And there were certain smells that were building up on me 
uh, for a long time, for 30, well, 29 days. Oh, some of you are shaking your heads. It's going to get worse. Just get ready. This is our main illustration today. And, uh, but nothing could compare with the aroma when they cut that cast off my leg. Yeah, some of you are dry heaving right now. There is something about necrotic skin. Am I getting there for you yet? There just is something about the aroma of dead skin that just doesn't play out well at the Thanksgiving table, right? And so on the way back, my wife was hanging her head out the window, smelling the fresh air. I want you to think about this quote. We'll get to, we'll get to um, the scripture in just a second, but think about this quote. Churches are filled with those who choose to be spiritual corpses and those who choose to practice spiritual respiration. You can smell the difference. If you have walked in here this morning and this is your first time, we don't want you to smell the donuts. We don't want you to smell the coffee. I definitely don't want you to smell my cast from 2007. We want you to smell the sweet aroma of honest and pure worship to God. We want you to taste of His goodness. We want you to experience the fresh air of fresh faith. And that is what James is saying, is that so many of you in the church are lacking real faith. You think you've got it down, but he's going to run us through a real quick litmus test to find out if we do. So you want to join me in going through this little test James hands out? See if we're lacking in anything? Let's join together, and I'm going to have you go ahead and turn to James chapter 2. I'm going to be in verses 14 through 17 through the first part. And as I do so, we're looking at the question, what good is it? Because that's the question James gives us. Look at verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have what? Works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And here it comes, our illustration. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, what does it say? Is dead. And this is why so many churches smell really bad. Is that some churches have decided that the most important thing is knowledge, is doctrine, is theology. And as I say that, I have all my professors slapping me upside the back of my head, saying, it is the most important thing, you bozo. Stop preaching heresy. James, I just took a page from James. Did you catch where he says, can faith save him? Let's just cover this real quick. 
Scripture tells us we are justified by our what? Faith. The same person who wrote that, which is truth, also says in Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, he says what? He says, you are saved by faith through grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. And we see it through Scripture over and over and over. When we first started this series, I shared with you this was one of the first letters written to the early church. The author is who? Very good. You in the front row, see the teacher after class. Yes, the author is James. James is whom? The brother of Jesus. James gives this letter to the church because the church is getting confused. They're kind of getting all over the place. And now there's, they're, they're trading in things that are really important for ideas. Ideas were very popular in the Greek world. And at that time, Greek thought was predominant. And so the Stoics, the philosophers, the Gnostics, the Essenes, and I could keep going on and on, all promoted their ideologies. And we as people love to sit around and discuss ideologies. I listened to a lot of you talk about how great the 49ers were going to be this year about four months ago. Ideology, folks. Not a lot of truth. Ouch, that just stung, didn't it? I'm just going to let it sit there for just a second. This church that James is writing to had slipped into this pattern of putting ideology and teaching on a pedestal. It was the thing. It became an idol. So when James says, can you what? Let me be really clear. Can faith, can that faith save him? The article that is super uber important. Why? I'm German. Did you know that? Can you tell I'm German? How can you tell if someone's German or not? Right? So Kathy's an easy target. Right? By the way, you should try her strudel. It's incredible. I don't know. I have no idea if she even makes strudel. <laughs> so Kathy will be making strudel later tonight. Let's all go over to the house. You can't tell if I'm German. What do you have to do? What has to happen in order for you to know that? I have to tell you. Or you have to go to Oktoberfest with me or something. We have to do something German. I have to show you my lineage. It requires something more than me just saying I'm German. And this is James's point. To simply declare I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and go to some meetings, can that faith save you? This is our polemic. What does James say at the end of what we just read? He says, so also faith by itself if it does not have works, is what? 
is dead, it's necrotic. Let me run you through some, some things this morning. So when he poses the question, what good is it, we want to ask ourselves these questions. What good is it to claim Jesus, yet fail to reflect him? What good is it to preach to someone and not care for them as well? Did you hear that in what James wrote? You see someone in need and you say, go, be warm and filled. Peace be on you, brother or sister. But you do nothing for them? That's not a reflection of Jesus. What good is it to do that? What good is it to forfeit deeper dependency on Jesus by choosing to serve self? And John 15 is a great reference for that. Jesus says, in this metaphor of a vine and fruit and branches, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So when James says, can that faith save him, the answer is what? No. That faith is dead. Now, how do we, how do we marry this? We talked about this at my life group this past week of which y'all, if, if you're watching or if you're here, some of you are here, um, y'all should gather at Bob's Big Boy this week because Janine and I are gone. Good luck finding a Bob's Big Boy. You can come up with your own pa pathway. Um, we talked about this this week. If Paul is saying, you know, you're justified by your faith, right? You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Doesn't it seem like these two guys are at odds with each other? Here's what happens. Do you know that there's a certain religion that requires you to give 10% and they pay attention and if you're not giving 10%, you get a call. And do you know that they have structured it so that your ability to inherit heaven and go to heaven depends on their leadership saying whether or not you're worthy to be part of that religion? And if you don't give the 10% every single month, there's a good chance you're going to get that call. And if you keep doing that pattern, then what's going to happen? They're going to say, you're no longer part of this. You have forfeited your right to the kingdom and all the blessings. Do you know that they're out stomping the grounds, going house to house, wearing white shirts with name tags? of which so many of us would never do because it's so fearful. But you know what motivates them? Heaven. You know that there are our Middle Eastern brothers and sisters that pray five times a day? They're supposed to, but they don't. But men stop what they're doing and go to church and kneel down on a rug every single week. in their prayers, in the middle of the day. Try doing that as a Christian. Try telling your boss, I gotta go do my prayers. So you need to give me two hours off. Why do they do that? Works. Works, works. I don't have time to give you more illustrations. So what has created the necrotic sense of the evangelical church, it's grace to a certain extent. Have you ever met the person that has been given so much that they stop appreciating it? They stop reacting to it? They stop responding to it? 
because they just are of the mindset, I deserve this. I said, yes, I deserve it. And because I know who my parent is, or I know who my boss is, or I know who my God is, he's just going to keep giving to me and giving to me and giving to me, and there's nothing really required of me because this is all by what? Grace. This is why we have dead churches. This is why James says the church is lacking, is because we are convinced that one statement, confession of faith, Oh yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God. He came to earth, he died, and he rose on the third day. I believe all that. woo I'm going to do what I want with my money, my time, my resources. I am the Lord of my life. I am serving myself. What was the last point? To forfeit deeper dependency on Jesus by choosing to serve self. What good is it? Because what it does is it creates necrotic churches and necrotic faith. James's words, not mine. James's words, not mine. So let's look at a positive because I talked about, uh-oh. I talked, the, the second one's coming. Oh, that was really good, Zion. The second one was much more subdued. I don't want to just look at the negative this morning. Let's look at the positive. Let's ask a different question. But it is good, right? It is good to claim Jesus and be a living example of his life and holiness. Amen? It is good to share the light of Christ and your resources to change lives, is it not? It is good to experience the mighty hand of God working through your faith to produce eternal fruit, is it not? It's our choice. God gives us a choice. We can choose a faith that is in title only or representation of an ideology that James saw creeping into the church and so he sends this warning, guys, That's not the kind of faith you need. That is a dead faith. And so he says, what good is it? What good is it? And this is the question for you and I today. What good is it just to do this, do this, do this? Versus us being able to say in a very healthy, spiritual way, respiration, fresh air, right? Of saying what? Is it not good to claim Jesus And be a living example of his life and holiness. Activity, right? Movement. Fresh air. To share the light of Christ and your resources to change lives. When you walked in today, did you smell the sweet aroma of the outreach that's happening at our church currently? Because I would be really embarrassed to preach this and not be able to point to something that we're doing as a church, but I get to. And the care ministry and I didn't get together and and figure out how to design everything perfectly so it all worked together. They didn't know that this passage was coming. But what a beautiful thing by who we are as a church and your church leadership and who you are, there are coats, there there are bags of food that you have brought rather than say, be warm and filled. 
You are putting your faith into works. It should smell sweet to you. It should smell sweet to you. The second point this morning is impotent faith. Impotent faith. In verses 18 through 16, let's look at it. James says this, okay, but someone's going to say, based off of what I just told you, someone's going to say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. By the way, that's the key. That's what James is trying to say. He's not discounting faith. He's not undercutting faith. He's saying faith, true faith, is that which is accompanied by works. Example A, shameless pun, Abraham. Right? And so he says, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as what? righteousness and he was called a friend of god you see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone and in the same way was not rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith from works is dead there's a great story of and I think I've told it a hundred times, but I, it just came to my head and I can't get away from it. There was a showman that used to go over a tightrope over Niagara Falls. And a bunch of people came out to see him. This is incredible. I can't believe you actually did that. And uh, so then people started to not come out anymore. Because once you've seen it you know, two, three times, you're like, okay, I get it. The guy can really do this. What's the big deal? You know, call me if he crashes and burns. You know, we, I want to see that. Of course, that's not going to work because once he, you know. So he had to up his game. So then he took a wheelbarrow over Niagara Falls. Not over Niagara Falls, but on the, on the tightrope. And then all the people came back because that was pretty incredible. So they wanted to see that. And after a while, again, same thing happened. Okay, well, we get it, we get it, we get it. You know, but he drew crowds. So then he knew he had to up his game. So then he filled the wheelbarrow with a bunch of bricks. And then all the people came back. They had to see this too. So they, they're like, I can't believe it. And then they watch it and they, you know. But what's happening is slowly but surely, these people really believe that this guy can do it. And then one day, people showed up. The wheelbarrow was empty. And they said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I've got, I've got a surprise today. He said, how many of you believe that I can go across that tightrope? Yeah, yeah, we will, you know. Get in the wheelbarrow. And nobody did. This is what it means to live in dependency with Jesus. This is what James is talking about. 
Trust me, if I'm in that wheelbarrow, my pulse is 200 over 200. But I'm living. And I'm breathing hard. And I'm thinking about every piece of my life that's happened before and what's coming next. Some of you are like, well, that's good for you, Pastor. You get in the wheelbarrow all you want. What I'm saying is that we forfeit. We want to claim a title. We want to claim a belief. And then we just want to hang on that belief. Which the belief in the statement is true. God is faithful, right? Amen? God is faithful. But the reality is, what is the actual genuineness of your faith? Because if you truly have God-given faith, then the Spirit of God is working in you and around you, and that then produces what? Produces fruit that Jesus makes with you. John 15. Those are the evidences of live faith, not faith that is dead, not faith that is necrotic. This morning, as I pointed out, you know, impotent faith, even, he says even the demons believe but are lacking due to what? Impotent faith. Then he says, Jesus didn't come to sit on, or I'm saying, Jesus didn't come to sit on a throne. He came to suffer and provide what? Redemption. Action. He believed in the message of his father, but the message of his father required him to be active, required him to suffer, required him to serve. And Jesus gave that same mandate to us. Jesus says to us, what? Take up your cross. It takes faith to do that. Real faith. Living faith. And the result of that, let me remind you what Jesus said in a parable when he talks about the talents. And he says to the one who did well, or to the various ones who did well, he says to them, because they put works to what was given to them, they used what was given to them. Jesus says this, this is his focus, this is his attitude, enter into my joy, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the goal. This is the goal. If we work on that level partnered in our faith with the Lord Jesus to produce fruit that is eternal, that faith is not dead, amen? Amen. That faith is not necrotic. We get an example of Abraham that, that, um, that James lists. And Abraham had to get up and move to a country he didn't know. He was told that he would be given a child when that was just an impossibility. Then he was put to the test with his own child. And he obeyed. He obeyed. And that brings me to the last point, or the last three points. Instead of impotent faith being dead, I'm going to supplant that with important faith. Important faith embraces biblical truth and chooses to live in obedience to that truth. It defines you. Wasn't Abraham's work with his own son and his obedience to the Lord didn't that define Abraham? How many of you remember that story from, from the time that you first heard it? It defined Abraham. 
What if the story just went like this? And so the Lord said to Abraham, go and take your son and take a bunch of wood and I want you to take him up on this altar and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham was like, yeah, that's a thought. That's an idea. Let's run that up the flagpole, see if anybody salutes. But he never acted on it. Think it would have made the cut? Think, it would, think we'd be talking about Abraham today? We might be, but not in an inspirational way. Rahab. You know Jesus came from the line of Rahab? Rahab was not a Jew. And yet God made this statement, I will redeem whoever has faith. But he didn't make it easy for her, did he? But he made a way for her and she had to hang a red flag or red scarf or whatever it was. She had to take that action that put her at risk. And because of faith with action, God was honored and Rahab was saved. We miss out. We forfeit when we do not have a faith that is producing works and fruit that Jesus does through us by us abiding with him. End of story. Let me close this morning with this quote. <clears throat> like air in our lungs, the Holy Spirit working in our lives is the evidence of a pulse. Don't be a spiritual corpse with every breath. Be like Jesus. Don't just believe in Jesus.